0: Well, it sure is good to see everybody here this weekend, and we at, uh, uh, in the room here in the auditorium want to welcome everybody in the Centrum and those that are online with us. Let's welcome on, on into the room right now. So glad you guys are here with us. You know, on my mom's side of the family, uh, my dad, pardon me, my, her dad, my grandfather on the maternal side there, I didn't know much about him. He was born in 1883. He died in 1939. I wasn't born until 1954, so I really don't know a whole lot uh, from what maybe uh, my mom had told me about him. Uh, there are a few things that we held on to that he had. This was one of them. And <laughs> Anybody guess what he did? cricket player, anybody? No, I didn't think so. Uh, school teacher, school teacher, all right, long, long time ago. And this has had, well, it's had a little bit of discipline that has been expressed through that, through the years. I look at that, and I think, uh, I remember, how many of you would have grown up in that era that you had a little fear of the swats, the paddle, whatever it's going to take that way? Uh, and and uh, I think teachers back then uh, had that Uh, that that moment of letting uh, the kids see that this could be a reality for them. I don't think they necessarily had to use it that much. They just had to see it. Kids had to see what what is the the potential for me really getting in trouble right here today. It it is something of days gone by. And the interesting thing is, as we continue in this series of uh, understanding the letters of Jesus in the book of Revelation to these seven churches, there is this fear of discipline. There is the fear of getting in trouble that each of the churches have to face because that's what evaluation is always about. Uh, you look at the churches and you see as we've gone through, and this is church number six today with Philadelphia we'll look at in a minute. Laodicea is the last one next weekend. But you, you see the, the, the moments of talking to Ephesus saying you've left your first love. Talking to Pergamum, how they've tolerated false teaching. Thyatira, they allowed a lady who Jesus symbolically calls a Jezebel, which is more of a seductive controlling, take you away from the real type of truth, type of a person. And, and, and you look on in Sardis and they had been lulled to sleep and he needed to wake them up. Later to see you next weekend, boy, they really get, uh, they, they go to the principal's office pretty strongly and get reprimanded very harshly. But there were two of the seven churches, Sardis and Philadelphia, the one today, that didn't receive any discipline. They didn't receive any correction. You, you didn't hear kind of the heat in Jesus' voice. And there's a reason for that. Now to, to get into that a little bit today, uh, we, we want to look at some of the background. And in this Philadelphia church, it was the youngest of the seven churches. It had a nickname of the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, because Attalus II, was very loyal to an older brother, Eunimeus. Uh, the second, the king of of Lydia. And people would look at those two brothers, and usually there's a little bit of sibling rivalry, a little bit of competitive nature, a little Cain and Abel if it gets really bad. But these two brothers were so respectful of one another, they literally named that city the city of brotherly love. It was a key trade city. It had a little feel like Athens. It was a very smaller city than Athens, but it it just pushed the Greek culture. It was the gateway to the Greek culture to let other countries, other places, other cities get the feel of what their values were all about. They had a temple there called uh, the Temple of Dionysius. It was the god of wine, because it was like the Napa Valley, if you will, where a whole lot of filet and cabernet really seemed to flow quite a bit. The city had been founded near volcanoes, so all the, the earth, the soil was very fertile and rich. As a result of that, near the volcanoes, there were many earthquakes. So there was a lot of evacuations and a lot of returns, a lot of going away and a lot of coming home. And that's why they tried to make it a city that culturally would push the Greek values to everyone else who would come and go there in the city of Philadelphia. Now in 17 AD they had a major earthquake and in that uh, they they were so devastated that the Roman government that was over them made the, them exempt for five years of no taxes. Well you would think, boy that's a gracious thing. Yeah but when you're broke and you've lost everything you can't pay anything anyway. So it, it was a little bit of a, a Uh, type of a cover that made it look like they're really being taken care of. They later found out the government really had turned their back on them because the only thing they were able to produce were these vineyards with wonderful grapes, wonderful wine, and the wine from Philadelphia began to threaten the wine from Rome. So the emperor uh, called for them all to be destroyed. So all the vineyards in Philadelphia, as good as they were, were taken out of the competition, kind of like Blockbuster did to all those gas station video stores in the 80s, if you remember that. Very few remember, uh, let's move on, okay? The city felt betrayed, the, the city felt by the, the government. Also, the church, as it's begun here in Philadelphia, they're all together, all the Jewish people and now the Christian people, they're all related together. So they would go to the synagogue together, and even though some were believers in Christ, there was a, a great coexistence till some persecution came, until the government got involved in that, and then all of a sudden, the Philadelphia Christians found themselves themselves being pushed out of the synagogue where they didn't even have friendship and fellowship with their Jewish families. And yet the Christians here in Philadelphia remain extremely faithful. And Jesus didn't have to pull out the paddle of correction to tell them what they were doing was wrong. He affirmed them passionately, gently, and completely. Now every week what uh, Anatus had us do is to, to stand for the reading of the letter of that particular church. And I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Would you stand with me and let me read from Revelation chapter three, verse seven through 13. Here's what he says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, see? Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right. You see, the language of Jesus in all of these letters to the churches is amazing because he customizes to every church. I remember when we first moved back here to the Midwest in 1999, Nathan graduated in 2000 from Silver Creek. And at his graduation, uh, we're there, you know, just kind of cheering him on and all that. The valedictorian of his class got up and spoke. Brilliant kid. He only spoke for about five minutes. And I'm thinking, Wow. That's a spiritual discipline I have not yet attained to cut it, to keep it short. And after five minutes, he ended the, his little uh, you know, graduation speech and he ended it in a different way, a little more dramatic. And he said, in summary, all I gotta say is peace. And I thought, I'm back in the 60s. And love, and I thought I had gone to Woodstock. And Euchre, <laughs> peace, love, and Euchre. And I thought, no. I ain't in the 60s. I ain't at Woodstock. I am in southern Indiana because the Who's Your game of choice through the years has always been Euchre and that was a kid who understood his crowd he understood his audience and he used appropriate language Jesus does this time after time after time in every church next week you'll hear the beauty of, of the whole Laodicean thing and it, it is colorful let me tell you they thought they were uh, very wealthy and they had this eye salve they could put together even had a university ophthalmology there uh, and they were known for fabric and fashion and Jesus cuts through it he said no you're you're not wealthy you're not uh, 2020 and you're not well dressed you're poor you're blind you're naked and he uses words that would sting to them and he uses words of encouragement that are appropriate and words of confrontation all throughout these letters that are appropriate four things I want to share number one is simply this as we think about this church in Philadelphia hear their message take a look at ourselves number one Let Jesus be Jesus to you. Would you say that with me? Let Jesus be Jesus to you. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the Bible heroes, and you see Abraham, who was a friend of God, a wonderful description, a wonderful metaphor type of a thing. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Later on, he says, he is my hiding place. And he describes his relationship that was known to him and known to him and God in their relationship. Moses was a deliverer. Moses had been delivered out of Egypt. And now God calls him back to you deliver everybody else out of Egypt so they can follow me, Moses. I'm calling you to do that. That was language that he, on a very emotional level, understood. A lady by the name of Hagar in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. She and her son are abandoned and left out there. She thinks he's going to die of starvation and she couldn't bear to watch. And all of a sudden, God comes to rescue them both. And she says, he is the God who sees, when nobody else sees. If you have ever felt invisible in your life, please know that you're not. God sees who you are and where you are. And that's the type of language Jesus begins with. Here's some of the things that he says. He says that he is the one who is holy, and true. They would have understood that language. Separate. You are set apart and you are authentic. They understood that Jesus was holy and pure and the only son of God and he was a very real thing and they had had to set him apart and they had to live authentically before the culture around them. They understood the exclusivity, if you will, of Jesus. In all the weddings I've done through the years, there's a phrase I love. I, you can kiss the bride, that's a good phrase. There's all sorts of other phrases, but the one, and I usually try to weave a little bit of kind of it making it feel like it's a little old-time wedding, and then normal language, there's a couple of these and thous in there, the way I do it, because that's the way I grew up listening to weddings. I love the phrase in the I do vows that is shared by each, the bride and the groom, where I ask them if they will say I do by saying, forsaking all others, keeping only unto thee. Would you say that with me? Forsaking all others, keeping only unto thee. It's a phrase, it's a promise, it's a vow of exclusivity. Only you, only you, only you. The Philadelphia church got that. They understood Jesus, it was only him. He was set apart. He was holy and true. He goes on, he says that he has the key of David. And what that indicated was he had access and he had authority. Way back in Isaiah 22, there's a a writing that talks about David the king and he has the right to make whoever the next king is is, and he's got the clout and what he he says goes. and, And these people had been denied access in the community and even in the, the, the synagogue and they were feeling the sting of being pushed out and Jesus says, I'm the one who makes the call on who's in or out. Don't let these people bully you. You see, we've got to let Jesus give us the words of affirmation in our heart and life right now that we need to hear, but those words will be just like he says in the book of Revelation. He is holy and true and he has access and authority to who is in his family who believes in him. Now, the second thing, as we move through the letter, is there's almost a a moment of him saying, you need to realize what's done for you, what's been done for us, and the fact that the things that he knows about us. Well, to begin with the things that are done, he's done everything that we need so that we can have access to him. We've been provided with this incredible opportunity to know God closely and personally. Uh, On the day that Jesus was crucified, in the moment that he gave up his spirit and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up his spirit and he died. In that moment of, of earthly physical death, What happened in the temple was very unique. Some of you know what this is. You've heard it before. But there was a place called the Holy of Holies that only the priest could go, only the high priest, one time a year. And if God's mad with him, guess what's going to happen to him? Kaboom, you know. So they they had that happen enough. They tied a rope on the high priest's ankle in case God was mad with him because all the other priests saying, I ain't going in there. Uh Uh-uh, we'll pull him out. So there was a real fear and reverence of don't take this lightly because God is saying, I'm holy and you're not. And he had to distinguish that so they would see his purity and his holiness and recognize their own sinfulness. But on the day Jesus was crucified, in the moment that he passed from this life physically, the curtain on the temple from top to bottom rips into, into. it was about 30 feet high, about six inches thick, It was not easily just pulled apart. And God was simply saying, I now give you this access. You see, he'd already done those types of things, making sure people could come to him. And he says he's provided an open door for the Philadelphia church that can't be shut. They had had the door slammed in their face so many times. They were pretty flat on the nose and the forehead. And all the time, somebody, the government, uh, or even the, the, uh, the synagogue, whoever it might be, even their families, turning back on these people simply because they named Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it wasn't just an an open door of take Greek culture. It was an open door of I'm giving you an opportunity as believers to affect the world, not just with culture, but with spiritual DNA. He provided all that. Now, the other things, he says, is you need to know I know everything about you. What was that movie? I never saw it, probably never will. I know what you did last summer. Okay, well, I got news. Jesus knows what we did last fall. He knows what we're doing this winter, and he knows what we're going to do next spring. He knows all those things, and he starts, and he says, I know your amount of strength. I I know that you're a small congregation. I know it's a small town that's been beat up a lot, been neglected a lot, but he's saying, you may be a small church, but you have a big heart. I grew up in one of those. Little town over in Illinois, town about 800, about five, six hours away from here. A church of 80 on a good day. But my sophomore year in college, we had 10 out of the 80, my age and a little older, that were all off in Bible college at the same time. Because something had happened. I don't know if anybody remembers the days of what we used to call having a revival. Most of the time, revival didn't happen. We just had a good music and a good preacher and a potluck afterwards. But in 1970 of March, my little hometown and home church had something that changed everything and it was something that God just got a hold of many hearts and leaders and it prompted us to just say what can we do in our life for the kingdom of God he was talking to Philadelphia as a small church with great potential much like Paul would talk to Timothy and say Timothy don't let anybody despise you because you're young don't, don't let anybody look down on you for any reason because uh, everybody knows it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fighting the dog. Thank you. You would have been there at the junior high ball game in the locker room where I heard that for the first time. There's something about understanding it. It is the passion. And Jesus is saying, he's affirming them and saying, what you are doing and the way you're being faithful I'm going to use this open door. I'm going to send you through. Don't feel bad because you may be small. Don't feel bad because you may not have everything all lined up. You may not have all the resources in your life in your life. Personally don't feel bad. As a family don't feel bad. As a community, as a church, whatever it is, let God be the strength within us. He goes on and he says he knows if we've kept his word. One of the marks of this church was they simply kept the Word of God. They knew it, they taught it, they stood for it, they lived by it. Every once in a while you'll find out preachers will say something that might be misinterpreted and people think it's a political statement. (laughs) I know enough to know that as soon as I say something politically driven, it's going to alienate half the crowd. But I think I can say anything I want to biblically. (laughs) What's that old song, the first song we ever learned if you were a kid in church Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. What's the second song you learned as a little kid back in the day? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. How many ever learned, Uh, okay, a few of us, all right. Uh, And I tell you, there's something about understanding it is the Bible on which we stand. It is the word of God that we hold on to and we develop our values and our views and our thinking and and we make those statements and those stances. Philadelphia was a church that made no apology. They did not condescend. They did not overly judge and shame and all that. They, They were the ones who received most of that. But they stood for what was right in the word of God. Jesus said, you've kept my word. How do you keep his word? You let his word guide your heart and the truth in it. You look at money and you realize we'll all struggle with that on all sorts of levels. But money is what he says ought to be handled properly for his glory. You look at marriage and you look to see what God originally intended for that. And you stand alone on the word of God that says this should be between a man and a woman. You look at sexuality and that expression of love and affection and God says that needs to be limited, serious boundaries in the context of a holy marriage. You look at the sacredness of life that begins at conception. How do you get that conclusion? The B-I-B-L-E <laughs> You hold on and say, God, what do you say about this? And, and Psalm 139, David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. In, in that hidden place, you were there all along. You look at justice, got a ways to go on that one. You look at compassion, we're doing a little better. How can we as God's people move beyond any kind of thing that feels political, but understand it is a biblical issue that we hold on to you see these church folks at at Philadelphia did not compromise they didn't major in the minors they did not back down they held on to Jesus and the resurrection as being the only hope and the word of God was their guide and they held on to it I love in Psalm 119 where David writes and he says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path I remember as a kid growing up thinking what's the difference between that A lamp to your feet, light to your path. Okay, as long as I get 10 points, you know, in vacation Bible school, I'll learn that, all right? But it was later on in life that I realized the lamp to my feet that his word is shows me my next step. And the light to the path continues the direction. God says, let my word guide you in the direction you need to go, but also let my word tell you what your next step is. That was the church, Philadelphia. Third thing, oh, oh, can't jump to that. One other thing about that, to understand about the denying of his name. He says, please know that I realize you have not denied my name. Like Peter being disassociated from from Jesus for a a brief moment. And, And you have to always understand the difference between Peter and Judas. Peter denied knowing Jesus. Judas betrayed him. The difference between denial and betrayal. You know it. You probably just haven't had a chance to articulate it in your life. Denial is letting somebody down. Betrayal is setting somebody up. Jesus says, you haven't denied You haven't turned your back on me. You have always spoken well of me. You have made me exclusive. You've not denied my simple name. In Acts 4, the early church, Peter and John, they're under attack, and they're told to hush up and quit talking about Jesus. And and he says, "How, how can I quit talking about what I have seen and what I have heard? He said, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, you you need to realize it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's kind of hard in our culture, isn't it? The moment Jesus gets brought up, he's written off or he's mocked or he's ridiculed. But that's no reason not to bring him up. That's not any reason to to not elevate him and let him be a part of the equation. But we have to realize that it's probably going to be misunderstood, but it doesn't matter. It becomes a moment that we decide in our heart and life that we will acknowledge him over all else. Now, the third thing, I didn't almost skipped ahead a little bit there. Lucky for you, you didn't miss that. The third thing he says is appreciate what he's about to do. Okay, we're turning the corner now. Jesus said, okay, here's everything that's happened. Here's what I know. Uh, Here's who I am. Proud of you guys. Here we go. Here's what I want to tell you what to do. Please appreciate what he's about to do and hold on tight. And at this point, they realize he's putting the paddle down. I don't think we're going to get in trouble. No breakfast club, no detention, no whooping, no spiritual swats. No, he just says, here's what I'm about to do now, and I need you to keep on doing what you're doing. Here's what he's about to do. He's bringing redemption before those who discount our faith and he says some very pointed things about those who would mock and ridicule them and keep them out he says they're a bunch of liars they think they're Jewish they think they're my people but they're not they don't know what I have done you know what I have done you know the grace that needs to be transferred and given to the rest of the world and he says I want to affirm you in such a way that you need to realize that they're going to bow down to you and they will acknowledge one day that I love you because they were told they didn't matter to God. It's almost like the language of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Where he has a dream and he, he, uh, he tells his brothers. And I don't know if it was the wisest thing to do. But God gave him the dream and he told them and here we are. All of a sudden he just says, you know, I, I saw us out in baling hay the other day. And all of your hay bales bowed down to me. That <laughs> did not go over real well. They decided to get rid of him sell him into slavery. But one day... When all of his family with a big famine comes about is starving. He's been sold into slavery. He goes all the way up to the top in Egypt. He's running the country. And they come starving, asking for grain. And they bow down to him. And he sees, for some reason, God gave me a vision of this happening and I'll be doggone. It's happening. Jesus uses that language. Why did he use that language? They knew that story. They knew that. They understood that God is a God of redemption. God is a God of of rewarding faithfulness. And he's saying, you're faithful. Keep being faithful. Then he says he's going to protect them from a major intensive trial. I mean, who knows what is going to happen next in our world? If we don't know that after this weekend, we're not paying any kind of attention. And depending on your your view of the end times and the tribulation, how that might work out and, uh, and what all God chooses to do, we need to understand we are being protected by him. He's seen us through COVID to a great extent, through some war, God knows what's next, only he knows and he ain't telling. The question is, will you and I embrace the protection he has given us right now? Will you and I take seriously what we have in the word of God, in an opportunity to pray together, in an opportunity for fellowship to gather and to worship, whether that would be on campus, online, whether we would take that next step towards community and relationship and fellowship and and just shorten that gap of our, our time together. That's what he's provided for us, that open door to be able to do what he's called us to do. In the early days here at Northside, when we came, our family died, I began to realize, boy, this is a wonderful group of godly people. What are a few little roadblocks we can get out of the way so we can keep on growing? What might those be? And they're just simple things. One of them was dress code. So we kind of... Okay, we we turned up the kettle, put the frog in, we changed it overnight. Okay, that's kind of what we did. It was it was very subtle, but we wanted to make sure that everybody feels welcome. I don't want anybody to ever say, I don't I'm not dressed up enough. I don't know if I can. I, I want what we look like on stage not to be memorable at all. <laughs> Just to say, God is here, we're all together, who cares? Nothing distracting. It took a little while to remove some roadblocks, but there comes a time when they're not roadblocks that need to be removed. There comes a time when envelopes, there's no envelope left to push. And that means you're into the next phase. How can we get an on-ramp rather than the roadblock, how can we build an on-ramp to help people get involved in the life of God's family? How can we get them connected? How can we give them an opportunity to serve and use their giftedness? How can we make that happen? One of the things I get to do now is It's called Finishing Well. We get four times a year, at least for right now. We just finished our fourth one uh, this last Tuesday. It's people over 55. We card you at the door, okay, just to make sure. No, we don't. But we have a great time, and it's a little bit of teaching. It's a little bit of table time and, and fellowship, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of older music, and maybe a couple of things you've recently heard here or there, but it's a whole lot of fun. All it is is an on-ramp to have a taste and see that the Lord is good so that you and I might take a next step. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to protect you from a terrible thing. My question is, will you protect yourself with the fellowship that God wants us to have and the discipling opportunities? He says, hold fast to what you got so you won't lose your crown. I don't think he's worried about anybody going to hell. He's not worried about you losing your salvation. I think he's a little concerned for them, letting them know this conditional part, that you will lose your influence if you don't hold fast. You will lose your footing and you will stumble if you don't hold fast. You will lose the impact and the legacy that you and I can make in the kingdom of God in the time that we have breath in this space between the dash on our tombstone, that you and I can make a difference to the kingdom of God that's why we hold fast that's why we do one more more than one service on the weekend that's why we try our best to make sure that everyone has Christ formed in them now the fourth and final and final one okay is to trust his final work verses 12 and 13 Jesus just unpacks and says you you just trust I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I mean, he didn't start creation without finishing it well and resting on the Sabbath. He didn't go to the cross with coming out of the empty tomb. He didn't return to heaven without returning for us one day. And now he says, here's what I'm going to do to wrap this up. God makes passionate followers his personalized pillars. He wants to use you to hold this place up to hold his kingdom, to hold his family up. If you've ever seen a pillar or even a, some ruins from a place of a city long ago, particularly over a European area, Middle East, you see there's pillars. That's all that's left. Everything else is gone. Roof's gone. Walls are gone. Foundation crumbling. But sometimes the pillars are so strong. And he says, you Philadelphian believers are the pillars He said, I can build on you. You're gonna pass this on to your family, to the community, to the next generation. It's gonna be more than Greek culture that's passed on in Philadelphia. He says, because I will raise you up and if you are victors, I will make you pillars and I will autograph each one of you, he says. I'll sign the new name, my new name, the city of our God, God's name on your heart. See, he understood that Satan... Wants to polarize and pulverize if you want to play with words. But Jesus wants to personalize and pillarize. Make you a person that stands. No, it's not a word, but it is today, okay? He wants to make you. He wants to make us. Not for the sake of recognition, but for the sake of longevity in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus winds down like he always does at every letter and he says, let he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. I, l- I love that got milk little uh, phrase, you know. So I thought it would be very appropriate to say, hey, got ears. Tonight. <laughs> Anybody listening out there, you know? Jesus says, are you listening to me? Are, are you catching all this? You know, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? And I think if we're not, he would say, okay, get ears. <laughs> okay, listen carefully. Because what has to happen is if we don't, hear what he's saying and not read between the lines and not know every bit of background of every letter but if we don't catch the gist of how serious this is we will be caught in a world that is crumbling before our eyes not knowing how we should live. had a conversation with a lady uh, this this last week about 10 o'clock at a grocery store Anybody ever have that uh, 10 o'clock, um, I'm hungry. Anybody ever do that? Okay, yeah. I, I've been spotted several times, different places. I, I try to alternate where I go, you know, not find a path. And, and maybe some of you guys do like I do sometimes, and that is, I, uh, no, no, I don't need a cart. You know, pools to the left anyway, right? Uh, no, I don't need a basket. I'm fine. I can carry everything. And the next thing you know, you're like this all the way, and you got several things. That was me the other night. And here I am in aisle 12 thinking, yeah, but there's one more thing. It's not on the list. Sue Lynn gave me, but I think I want one more of those. And I'm there. All of a sudden, the lady comes up. And I kind of recognized her, but I didn't exactly till I could see her a little closer. And said, George, I'm so glad to see you. Do you have a minute? Yeah, I got time. I got time. And just that, that moment of, and it was, a, it was an incredible moment. <laughs> It's an incredible moment because she's saying, I love this series we're doing at church. And she's a gal who comes here a little bit, but she really grew up at another church, so she comes here as a little more of a supplement. But she loves that, and she loves her home church. We've said for years, if Northside is your home, yay God. If Northside is a refuge, if you've kind of been a little disillusioned at another place and you're going to take a year or two to heal up and go back, yay God. We've said many times, if we're a supplement to you uh, on a Saturday night or whenever, yay God. Or if we're just a cheat day on Saturday night, yay God. Okay? It doesn't matter. And and she's one who's a little more of a supplement, but she said. I love this whole series. She said, I had to go buy another book because I took it to our pastor over here and said, we've got to do something like this. I said, how did that go over? And she said, it's fine. We have a great relationship of, of being able to talk. What do we need to do next? How can we encourage? She has ears. She has ears to listen. What's God saying to do? How can we encourage one another? How can we cross lines and never let... The lines of distinction between Christians become walls of division. Never let that happen. She got that. The people at Philadelphia got it. How can we grow? How can we hold fast? How can we honor God? How can we keep him in his proper place? And I think at Northside, we try to get that as best we can. How can we live faithfully for him? I want to ask you as we close our time today, not to sing a song with me, but to say a song, to speak a song with me. It's a song we sing a lot of times, worthy of your name. I think it's a song that the Philadelphia church would have sung. It might even been that last prayer on their lips before they fell asleep or before they ended a time of worship. It's a song that acknowledges who Jesus is unashamedly. Now, we're going to speak this song. The words will appear. And I want to ask you, as a phrase comes up, as a title comes up, for you to raise your hand when you resonate with that phrase. Let's say all of the song together, if you would. You're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior my refuge, my hiding place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my anchor for all my days. You stand by my side, you stood in my place. Jesus, no other name. Jesus, no other name. You are worthy. Those were the words that was a song that was on their hearts. May we be a church like Philadelphia. May we hold on to the word of God, never be ashamed of the name of Jesus, and may we appeal to heaven every day of our life. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Love you guys. We'll see you soon.